Are you looking for inspiration on a daily basis? Well, check out Deal to Heal Teas. With our inspirational teas, you're sure to find something that will inspire you. Just go to dealtoheeltees.myshopify.com. That's Deal to Heal Teas. Get some inspiration in your situation. Wear inspirational tea and be inspired all day. That's Deal to Heal Teas at dealtoheeltees.myshopify.com. Hey guys, this is Ernest James, host of the Deal to Heal with E. James podcast. And I got a question to ask you. Could you buy me a cheeseburger? Better yet, could you buy me a value meal? Yes? Well, guess what? I don't need a value meal. However, for the cost of a value meal, you can support this podcast to keep us on the air. Just go to Patreon slash Deal to Heal podcast and choose any one of the three tiers that's available. And if you just want to make a one-time donation, go to Cash App. And make a donation to dollar sign E James, the number 418. Make a one time donation to the Cash App, or again, go to Patreon to support this podcast and keep us on the air. Thanks in advance. Be blessed. Welcome to Deal to Heal with E. James Podcast. On this podcast, my guest and I will discuss topics and ways to help us to heal in every area of our lives. I believe that everyone can live a life that is happy, healthy, and whole. So I'm on a mission to help people to deal, heal, and fulfill. Deal with your problem, heal from the pain, and fulfill your purpose. Thanks for tuning in. Let's get to it. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Deal to Heal with E. James podcast. I am your host, Ernest James, and I believe that everyone can and should live a life that is whole, healed, and healthy. And therefore, I'm on a mission to help people to deal, to heal, and to fulfill, to deal with your problems, to heal from the pain, uh, and to fulfill your purpose. So thank you guys once again for tuning in uh, to the Deal to Heal with E. James podcast. If you haven't already, Make sure that you subscribe to our YouTube channel, our Facebook page, and also uh, to our podcast on Spotify or wherever you are listening, um, to wherever you listen to your podcast distribution. I can't get, I got that all messed up, but y'all know what I'm talking about. If you've been listening to the podcast, you know what to do. Um, also, I'm going to tell you guys how you can win a hundred dollars uh, from the podcast. Um, but you got to stay until the end of the show to get that information. So make sure you stay and, and make sure you listen. Also, guys, we got a lot of stuff going on. Uh, I definitely want you to check out our website at dealhealfulfill.org. Um, you'll be able to see the different things that I have going on uh, with the speaking engagements, with the ebooks, um, with the t shirt line, also with uh, the podcast itself. It's sort of a, a three point. Uh, business model, I guess uh, you can say. So please check that out. Uh, again, also check out our uh, ebooks at uh, ebooksbyejames.com. Um, and yeah, so I'm really excited about that. Uh, and I definitely appreciate you guys' support and supporting me with the things that I have going on, as well as listening while I try to bring uh, 
myself and others onto the podcast to you know bring some healing to every um area of our lives right uh so i always say i have not dealt with everything neither do i want to deal with everything and so i can bring myself for the things that i have dealt with but i bring on other people um who have dealt with some things that i haven't uh, to be able to help us to get through those uh situations so today just like any other day uh we are blessed with a guest miss rakeet i, I can't even say your name <laughs> marquita renee how you doing <laughs> <laughs> hello, hello, Ernest. That's okay. Look, hey, you you got it right though. Um, thank you, thank you, Ernest, for having me on your podcast. It is such an honor to be with you, be with you here tonight. So yeah, I'm excited. Good, good, good. So um, first of all, let me say uh thank you for being on uh because you could have been anywhere, but you are here with me and my listeners. So I definitely uh appreciate it. I want you to know that. Uh, to the listeners, just in case you know, so I'm just going to put it out there. I'm not feeling my best, right? So I'm, I'm sort of like uh, Jordan in the in the, uh, <laughs> in the the pool game, right? So I, I told Ms. Makita, uh, we're going to try to get through this. Uh, I'm trying not to cough and, and blow my nose doing the, <laughs> doing the interview, uh, but I'm not feeling my best. But we, we got to keep pushing, right? We got to keep bringing you uh, these amazing conversations of healing and deliverance and uh fulfillment to help you get through what you're getting through and so um if i can fight through what i'm going through right now maybe it just be a little inspiration to you guys that are listening that you know life goes on and and there are going to be some situations that make our jobs or our uh, visions you know the things that we want to do makes it a little harder um mm -hmm. but we got to push to it we got to push to it. So tonight I am uh, going to be your uh, example of that because I'm going to push through this interview and we're going to get it going. So, Ms. Marquita, do me a favor. Uh, let's get started. The first thing I want you to do, introduce yourself uh, to our to our listeners and tell who you are and what it is exactly that you do. Yes, yes. So, um Hi, everyone. I am Marquita Renee. I am a motivational speaker, a recovery coach, and a facilitator. Um, I have been through a lot in my life. And I think just as much as what Ernest is doing, you know, I think that this uh, is so, so, so important to have these conversations especially these uncomfortable conversations um, and, and let people see that if, you know, through my story or whomever else's story, that if we can overcome that hurdle, that hurricane, so can you. So I'm just here tonight to really just sh share and, and be transparent on my journey and how I went from broke, busted and disgusted to um pretty much healed and and blessed so i am just excited to be here and i owe it all to that man upstairs so yeah okay okay so let's let's jump right in it um because you said one of the things you know sharing your story and so let's go back to uh marquita you know the the old you right before you became the person who you are now. So what was it or what were you going through at that time? You know, I know we're going to uh, get into, a, um, you know, talking about addiction and things of, of that nature. Um, 
So I definitely want to hear about that journey. But who are you even before that? And what led you into, you know, the things that you got into? And then eventually, you know, getting to the point, uh, the place where you are now, where you're mm-hmm. able to talk about it and help to uh, have these conversations to bring hope and, you know, a ray of light to those who may be going through it right now. So tell us a little bit about that journey of sure. who you were and, and how you got to where you are now. Sure. You know what? I really love transform- transformation journeys. Uh, I am a huge, I just want to throw this out here. I am like a huge documentary guru. So I just love seeing how people, especially people of color, came came from nothing and, and overcame all of their barriers. So with that being said, you know, the old version of Marquita, um, I was all, I was the black sheep, you know, many of us have that black sheep in the family, right? To where you just never fit in. And that was me always growing up. I was, I've always been um, kind of the, if you want to say the outcast and the outgoing, outspoken, um, very athletic. I played sports all through, you know, middle high school and college. So I was very just, I stayed in my own lane pretty much, but I was very um, rough around the edges, if you want to say. And that had to do with, you know, growing up, I was the middle child. So being the middle child of, you know, the two siblings, sisters, both sisters, and feeling like I had to be the protector, right? So, you know, you go through Marquita to get to my sisters because Marquita wasn't having it. Uh, so we didn't have brothers. So I felt like that was my job to be, you know, the protector. Um, and, you know, we I came a point in my life where I was really needing my mother's love. My mother had us very young. She had my sister at 14, me at 19 and my younger sister at 22. So she was a kid herself trying to raise three girls Um And her and my dad split up when I was really, really young. They were only married for like six years. So just seeing her at a young age, trying her best at that time. We are from a small town of Tulsa, Oklahoma. Um, So if you all are familiar with the um, 1921 race riot, um, that's, that's my hometown. So um, growing up there and and really just trying to figure out life with being the outcast, you know, m- my mother wasn't that TL given that TLC, if you want to say, right? Mm-hmm. So I never really experienced that love and that affection and any of those things that I really didn't even know that's what I needed, right? Um, Because I was a kid. So I kind of just figured that was the normal way of living. Um, She was always um, gifting. Right. So she made sure she lavished her girls with gifts for Christmas. I had whatever you wanted, you know, basketball goals and and the new sneakers and whatever I wanted. Um, But something was missing. And it was pretty much when she we my mother got uh, physically abused. um, Right. And that kind of shifted. I think that shifted our relationship. That shifted her just as a as a woman because mm-hmm. she was abused in front of her her children, mm-hmm. and 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 that's what led us leaving our hometown and moving to Atlanta, Georgia. 
So we tried to, you know, she was running. She was escaping from this abusive relationship. Um, and with that, you know, being in a whole new state at the age of 10, I felt like now I got to learn a whole new, per, you know, new identity, new environment, new friends, new all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in Atlanta back in the 90s, you know, it was it was it was it was rough. Mm-hmm. Uh, but my mother always tried to make sure we stayed in a in a in a middle class neighborhood, right? But me being who I was, I was needing that attention. So I would be rebellious. I was that rebellious team, you know. I'm just like, okay, you don't want to give me no love and no affection. I'm gonna try to figure it out and 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 act out. And I thought that that would get my mother's attention. Um, so. You know, my middle, my middle and high school years, or I'll say middle, was very, very tough for me because I was really just lost, really wanting that love. And I was always in trouble, right? Always kicked out of school, always fighting, always doing these things. Um, and I was always told I wouldn't be nothing. I wouldn't amount to anything. You know, all of these just negative things that my family would always tell me. So at some point, I started to believe that, right? So... I'm like, well, maybe it's true. Maybe I won't amount to anything. But deep down in my spirit, I knew that was a lie. I'm like, I'm way more than that. I'm way more than what people are projecting me to be. So to get me out of trouble, my mother had to leave because I had caught a case um, at a very young age, at 14 years old. And she was just like looking at it in a sense that, you're going to be either dead or in jail the way I was going. Um, and so she, we left Atlanta and moved back to Tulsa. So my high school, you know, I thought I was, you know, I was pretty, very, very popular because um, I played basketball and I ran track. So that all led me kind of to shift my perspective just a little bit, you know. Um, but through high school, you know, I was still, I was still hurt. I never healed from mm-hmm. all of the, the things that family members were saying to me. So I never hear. So all of that pain kind of was buried down, right? You know, so high school, I found, you know, my first love and I'm just head over heels. You know, that's when I'm just like, oh, and everybody knew us. Everybody knew who we were. And that's kind of where I was find, trying to find my identity. Didn't even have any people around me to help me understand my identity or just me understand myself as a, as a young woman. So I'm just watching other people around me, not knowing if they are good examples or not. Um, leading to college, you know, college is kind of what shifted um, after I graduated high school and, and college. And I, I, I'm just still kind of like, I want a kid. I want a kid to, cause I wanted to feel loved. I'm like, nobody's ever said they love me. Nobody, ex- I don't even know what love feels like because nobody, I've never seen love, like genuine love. So I thought me having a child would fix that, right? right. And it wasn't something that I was going out to look for. I'm just like, if it happens, it happens. You know, my freshman year in college, I had a blast. I went to all black university, Langston University. And um, 
I had a blast, right? So it was kind of like I'm turning, I'm becoming a young adult. I was 19 years old, finally living on my own. And I felt like I had always lived on my own because I've had to do on my own since 12, 13 years old. Um, so freshman year was great. Then my sophomore year in college came and met this guy uh, that was from California. He was a uh, from South Central LA. And um, I just thought his swag was everything. I'm like, oh, something about this Cali boy is just, I'm, I'm loving it. And whew, Lord and behold, that ended up being the most, biggest mistake of my life. Got pregnant. And when I got pregnant, you know, um, I didn't even know I was pregnant, right? So I just thought I was really, really sick. And I had someone take me to the ER and she was like, oh, congratulations. Um, there's your baby's heartbeat. And I'm like, what? You know, I'm I'm in my sophomore in college. Like, wait a minute. I When I said I wanted to possibly have a baby, I didn't mean like right. college, right? So I'm like, it is what it is. You know, he, I told him and he immediately was like, get an abortion. I don't want it. You know, I'm too young. I, I don't want it. And I still got a life to live. I'm from Cali. And he was just really cocky. He had a really cocky demeanor. So I had my child without him. And um, I was 21. So being a single parent mother, um, it was rough. It was very, very rough. So 21, you know, I'm trying to, you know, take care of my child on top of trying to work and pay for daycare and do all these things as single parents do to make sure we survive. And it was very, very hard. I had to stay in the hood. Um, and it, it was just, I mean, even though I can, I can survive through anything, right? Because that was, that was just my mentality. It's like, I could survive. I'm a survivor for real, for real. <laughs> so living in the hood was no issue, but it was just kind of like, I started to see that I'm tired of this. Like, but I couldn't go nowhere else because that was the the environment that I could only afford, right? Like I could not afford to go pay rent for seven, eight hundred dollars at that moment of time until I found another found a new job. So around this time, this was 2003. No, three, three oh five. My son was born in 2005. Um so for like the four years, it was just rough, I, I, but I made it through. I, I made it through and, but I was starting to, me and his dad were just always bumping heads, always. He never helped. And I just had so much anger. So it was like, I had the past anger from when I was in middle school, you know, from when my mother and sisters and everybody would tell me I wouldn't amount to anything to now a man telling me, that I wouldn't know that he was, he, you know, verbally cussed me out, physically, you know, was spit in my face. He just kind of degraded me as a woman. And I couldn't understand how someone who I just had his child would treat me like that. Um, and that whole time I ended up finding out he was cheating on me. So while I was taking care of his baby and all of this, he was back at school having the time of his life. And he was, you know, cheating on me. 
So that built up anger, right? Just resent me. And I'm just like, this, like, you know what? Like, how could you like, I need help. Like, you're not helping me. So that all of those emotions and feelings and all of this kind of created this woman of anger. You know what I'm saying? Just like you, you, I had this chip on my shoulder and anybody who says something, I was going, I'm going off. Like you got to, because I felt like I was always being attacked. Right. I felt like people, even family, you know, I just never felt understood and I never felt loved or appreciated. So I felt like I always had to prove myself. Like, you know, like I got to prove this, I got to do this. And until it turned into my life transitioning into the second phase of what we're going to speak about, which is addiction. So that's the old version and how all of that kind of transferred and led up. Okay. So we, so now we're, we're following the story. Well, first of all, let me, let me go back a little bit because I want to talk about uh, just briefly, just addressing the uh the effect that our families have on us sometimes yes. uh, sometimes you know being that um that one person who feels like they're the outcast and sometimes we are and and sometimes it's not even from a negative point of view sometimes we can be the outcast for doing something positive yeah. you know sometimes we could be the outcast because we're the one who wants to break the uh the cycle we're the one who wants to get out the hood we're the one that wants to you know build something build some legacy and right. then we may be looked at uh or outcasted from the found because now it's like oh you think you're better than us and you know and that whole thing and so it, it kind of can go either way right you know but either way that it that it goes or, or the anger that it comes from it still plays a part on our psyche and a, a part of how we view ourselves because our families is supposed to be the first people who love us, the exactly. first people who uh, accept us, the first people who support us, right? Because they know us better than anyone, mm -hmm. right? And unfortunately, sometimes it's those same people in those same relationships that do the opposite. Yeah. Sometimes they tear us down and, you know, again, adding to our view of ourselves, and making us look at ourselves and not visualize our own self worth, right? right? Mm -hmm. So we we go we go through this journey, or, or you you go through this journey, and then you find yourself now, um, where you're transitioning to the next mm -hmm. phase of your life. And so, how was that? Um, or should I say, first of all, why was it that? You know, you saw uh, a substance, which, uh, which whatever substance of choice it was for you, I, you know, I'll let you uh, explain that. But why was it that you saw the substance maybe as a, a way to help or a way out? I don't know. I, I'll let you address that. And then, you know, what did you think it would help you to become? And then what actually did it did it become for you to the point that now it, it was more probably more destructive than it was helping? Great question, Ernest. And I would, um, I have no issue sharing what my choice of substance was. So my son um, was four at the time um, when I met my daughter's dad. And so I really, it was kind of like I went from one relationship to an entirely 
different relationship. And I was really starting to lose sight of myself and who my like who this woman was in the mirror. Um, and you know, when you first get in a relationship, you already know it's all good, and you know, you got the butterflies and all that. Well, that wasn't me at first with my second daughter with my daughter's dad. Like I knew I should have knew then <laughs> that I was just headed down to destruction. But it was kind of like when someone is so persistent and consistent with wanting to date you, you're just like, all oh, the hell with it. Let's just okay. So that's what ended up happening. And so I ended up getting pregnant with him with my daughter in 2009 and me and him were living together and um i didn't know at the time um but my son he was being really mean to my son which wasn't of course his and so when i had my daughter i was given pain medications for the pain um because i just gave birth and that's what they give parent a mother after they give birth, you know, to help with the pain. And so that was the first time I had experienced taking a Percocet. And the first time I took it, it was just like that euphoric feeling. Like, honestly, it was kind of like this whole energy of just sensation went in through my entire body and it felt so good. And I was floating. I mean, you know, I was like high as a kite because that was the first time I ever took any type of medication like that. So I was prescribed, you know, the medication. And after I took the um, as prescribed by the doctor, you know, I wanted that feeling every day because what I began to notice is that it made me happy. I began to just be social and I just felt free and I just felt like loving myself in the sense of why does this little pill make me feel so happy? Like, why am I so happy? And that's what it was. I was just always happy. I didn't even care if my house was, you know, the kids have stuff everywhere. I was just all, I was cleaning because that's what it made me do. I was always cleaning and just always, which turned into, I started smoking black and mouths in college. So when I got pregnant, of course I could stop. Because that was never me to be a mother to smoke with a baby in me. So when I when I had my children, of course, I picked it right back up like I'm smoking. And then when I had the pills, that just enhanced it. So I was running through black and mouths. That was my choice of uh, smoke. <clears throat> I was running through black and mouths like it wasn't no tomorrow. So I'm smoking, popping pills, smoking, popping pills. And that pill led me into learning how to connect with street pharmacy. And if, I mean, hopefully people, listeners know exactly what I mean by that. Just read between the lines, um, mm -hmm. understanding what that means. Um, because at that time, it wasn't even uh, an addiction, right? It was just, at least that's what I did. I mean, you know, because back then it was not even known to, doctors wouldn't even explain it in the way of now this can be very addictive so they were giving prescriptions out left and right like it was like getting us i used to get 180 script of pain medications and 180 who needs that many right like what in the hell but 
because I thought it was legal. I mean, I'm like, you know, like any person who's never been properly educated on medication, we're going to assume it's cool because our doctor gave it to us. You know what I'm saying? Like, I ain't got no addiction. My doctor obviously thinks I need it. So can't nobody tell me nothing. And that's what my mindset was. So for nine years, that's all I did was pop pills, smoke, and now I started drinking. And my my daughter's dad, he was very a very manipulative, narcissistic man. And I really, really despise, like I, like I didn't like my, I really dislike my son's dad, but my daughter's dad, he kind of put the icing on the cake with why I wanted to just stay medicated. Right. So I lost my job in 2013 and with me losing my job and he didn't really work. He, he used to just sit and play video games all damn day. So me being a full-time mom, full-time girlfriend, full-time everything, and still trying to keep up with this habit of my pills, I'm like going crazy. I'm like, I done lost my job. How am I going to afford anything, right? So that's when I started pawning stuff. Like everything in my house that was pawnable, if that's even a word, mm -hmm. it would be pawned. I'm like, I didn't care, right? I went into that, 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 darkness of my kids toys my kids playstations my kids tablets anything that i can think of tvs you know i would pawn it and then knowing i i would go donate plasma just to try to have some money to act like i got my shit together and again i had no idea i was going down a spiraling cycle i just was trying to keep up my habit that's all i cared about and but I always made sure before I had lost my job, I've always had a good job, right? Like nobody knew that I was popping pills. Nobody, because you look like a normal person. You get up and go to work and do what you do and things like that. So nobody ever knew. So how it kind of came out was my daughter's dad, he was always a jealous person. He always had a jealous spirit. So even though I like income tax time would come, he was one of those who expected me to give him and go buy him stuff like I did my kids. And he would get really, really upset that I would come home and not have anything for him. And I used to be like, who does that? Like, how are you mad? Because this is my money. And these are the, you don't help me take care of your kids, including your own daughter. So my, my, my love for him was starting to diminish and we had by then been together six years and I was just like, why am I with him? And so the, 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 the addiction, the habit just got worse and worse because I was really just trying to hide the pain and I didn't want to deal with just not feeling loved. Like all I wanted to have was that love from, from somebody. I'm like, I just want to be loved. Like, what is so what is it about me? So I started questioning myself. Mm -hmm. What is it about me that I can't be loved? I'm like, I'm, I feel like I'm an attractive woman. Like I, I have a car. I have a nice house. You know, I, I, I know how to cook. You know, I'm questioning all of these things about who I am.
And I could never find the answer. So my pills was my answer because my pills blocked out all of the questions I was asking, right? It was just like, okay, I'm in love. I'm in love with this because it loves me back. It ain't talking noise. It ain't putting me down. It ain't doing none of that. It's making me feel good because I didn't know how to feel good from nobody else. So with me having that type of mindset, you know, it it not, the job that I got let go of, it was because the, the, the company downsized. So when that happened, this was the first time I reached out to my son's dad and I'm like, I can't, can you just help me take care? Can you just take him for a couple months until I get back on my feet, right? At that time, my son was 10 and uh, I should have knew that was the wrong decision to do. Um, so he agreed and remind you, this man ain't been in his son's life in 10 years. But for some reason during this time, he was so open and willing. And of course, yes, he'd been on child support since he was a newborn. So his child support um, had racked up by then. It was like $17,000. Me, I'm not thinking that that's any reason for him to be like, I mean, because again, I couldn't think clearly. I'm under the influence every day, right? I'm just mm -hmm. zooted every day. And 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 it, when I wasn't zooted, I was sick. So that's when I started experiencing withdrawals. And I'm like, what the hell is this? Like, I was very, very, very ill. For the first time, that's when I found out it was withdrawals. And and I because I didn't want that feeling, I'm like, I have to now keep this habit up. Like, I don't want to be sick. Like, that was horrible. So, you know, he agreed. I ended up letting him come get our son. And I was like, the agreement is for you to let, just until I get on my feet. That situation turned into him saying, no, I'm not giving him back to you. He doesn't live in the state I live in. He lives in, at that time, it was Texas. So I didn't know though. I didn't know where in Texas he lived because he, he, that man despised me. So we hated each other so much. Um, so when that situation happened, I ended up calling my dad and I'm like, I need to go, I need to go to Texas. I'm like, I had somebody locate where my son is at. By then, of course, I had a job, you know, which I knew it was going to happen. And I'm like, I need somebody to go with me just in case it just turns out to be to the left. Like his daddy wants to jump on me, attack me. You know, I need you. So my dad was like, yeah, let's ride. Like, you know, I'm making sure my baby girl got me by her side. So we get to Texas. I go to the school where I knew my son was at, got him and left. Soon as I pulled out the parking lot, I guess the school, the school had contacted dad and was like, um, just let you know, mom just picked him up. And so he calling me. I'm already on the highway back to Oklahoma. He blowing my phone up. You beat this. I'm coming to get you. I'm kicking in your door. I'm coming to get my son. And I didn't think nothing of it. I'm like, yeah, boy, you ain't about to drive down here to come get him. Boy, bye. That was on February 13, 2014. At midnight. He came to my door to try to kick it in. It was February 14th. So as he's trying to kick in my door, I had to call the police. 
the whole block was filled with police. Like I have never seen that many police for one person. But at that time, I didn't give a damn. Take his to jail because he is not coming to get my son. So that situation happened. My daughter's dad is in the house. Do you think he got up to help or, or do any? No. His scary ass was laying in the bed like that. Ain't got nothing to do with me. That's between you and your baby daddy. Da, 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 da. I'm like, you weak. I mean, I'm I, I called <laughs> him every name in the book. And that situation led me to going to the court the very next day to file a protective order. And I thought that that protective order would be all I needed to secure that he couldn't come anywhere near me or my son. I was wrong. The last day of school, he waited a couple months, so it cooled off. The last day of school um, of 2014, I'm like, I'm going to go pick my kids up early from school so we can just go celebrate. School is over with, out for the summer, go to my son's school. Principal was like, he's not here. His dad, his dad came in with a, with a uh, court order and we had to let him go because the school, of course, had the uh, protective order from me. But she said this order that he had overrode, overrided my order. So they let him go. Um, this is 2022. I have not seen my son in seven years. So with that situation, when that happened in 2014, I fell into a very, very deep depression. As a mother who had a son, one had both of her kids one day and then wake the next day and it's kind of like you only gave birth to one child. I kind of went into a whole dark hole and that dark hole just kept me into my addiction more, right? So that, I, I wouldn't wish that pain on any mother, on any parent at all, right? Um, and yes, people might be, you know, who's listening like, well, did she try to go get them? Yes, of course. I made many attempts to go to Texas. He would call the police. He would make threats. He would make it seem like I was, you know, a, an abusive mother. So the police would uh, told me if I ever showed up to his residence, I would be arrested. So he flipped the script on me, end up putting me on child support. I've been paying child support since 2014. And that child support that I had, it is still, I'm still not getting any back pay. So what ended up happening was 2015, that year after that happened, I moved to Oklahoma City. Um, and that's about an hour away from where Tulsa is, right? And I moved and I'm just like, okay, I'm gonna try to start fresh, right? I, I'm just like, I, I just need to start fresh. The house I was living in, the landlord was going in foreclosure. So it was like everything was happening back to back to back for me. Right. And I was just mm -hmm. like, damn, am I going to catch a break? Like I am like, Lord, please help me. Cause I am just exhausted. I want to give up and, um, move to Oklahoma city, end up getting robbed, got robbed twice. One time on my daughter's birthday and another time, while I was at work and I knew the people who robbed me. So me being who I am, I wasn't about to allow that. 
And I didn't have no family in Oklahoma. Well, I had my sisters, but by then they stopped communicating with me. I couldn't under figure out why, right? I'm like, why? Like you, we've always said when we got became adults that we wanted to all live in the same city and have our kids grow up. So if finally that opportunity finally had came, but I couldn't figure out why they turned their backs on me, right? So once I got robbed and all these things was happening, that kind of turned me into a savage. I was like, okay, see, I'm tired of people taking advantage of me. I'm tired of allowing my kindness to be, you know, people taking my kindness for weakness. Um, by then, I was still taking pills, but drinking was kind of more heavy. And, um, you know, I, I really just turned into a savage mother. I was just like, I wish somebody would. You know, I ran up in this woman's house who I knew robbed me and, and you know, <laughs> had to fight her because I'm like, how dare you? I let you come in my home. And I knew she robbed me because the neighborhood was basically saying, you know, this girl and uh, going around trying to sell stuff. And I was just like, what is she trying to sell? And it was my stuff. I'm like the audacity. So that situation happened and that led me to having to leave this Oklahoma City. Now, while all this is transpiring, I'm still as a mother trying to figure out how the hell do did the court let this man take my son like how like it makes no sense come to find out my sisters he been having contact with my sisters he's he had been allowing my sisters to come see my son when i found that out and how i found that out was through social media so one of my homegirls at that time was like girl you know your sister got a picture on facebook with your son i was like huh i was like how wait what so when i seen it i'm like hold up how and by then i hadn't seen my son in two years i'm like how is this even wait what is going on here like how are you able to see him and i'm having such so somehow some way she made cahoots with my son's dad to keep keep me out of his life but they remain in contact with him. Still to this day, I have no relationship with my sisters because I can never understand how you can do me like that and, and tell me you ain't got nothing to do with me knowing where or why y'all have done this to me. Um, so all of that happened and like I said, it all transpired. And, and, and so when I left Oklahoma City in June of 2015, I get in this relationship. Well, I was kind of in a relationship before I left, but I ended up bringing that relationship to Tulsa. That relationship led me to having the task force surround my house in November 2015. So you talking about a, 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 a domino effect of all of these events every year, something was happening in my life, like back to back to back to back. So, okay. 2000 and the end of 2015, I go to jail, I go to jail. And again, I'm still, by then my mind is like, I'm tired of popping pills. Like my body was exhausted. 
I wasn't happy. I was so unha- I was so unhappy. Um, I, I was missing my son. I, I felt just lost. I felt hopeless. I just felt like running my car off the highway, and that would just take away all my pain. But then I stopped and thought about my daughter and my son. The moment that I did have that 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 thought of going off the highway, it was like I was driving over the highway and the bridge was coming up and I just was like, just Marquita, just rev off to the right. Just go to the right. Go to the right. And so like literally my hand was on the stairwell and I'm and it was like something just pushed me back on and and I it was kind of like I was in a daze. And I felt like God was basically saying, it's time for you to wake up. It's time for you to get your life together. So when I went to jail, that's when my transition of getting my life together started. So I needed to hit rock bottom. And that's when I hit rock bottom with everything that had already transpired. And then when I go to jail and they telling me I'm about to face 10 years in the penitentiary. I'm like, what the hell for what? And my charge was harboring a fugitive. So this man that I brought to live with me, he was a fugitive. And here I was, I'm that down, I'm that down ass woman. Like I'm riding for my man. You know what I'm saying? I'm doing this, you know, I'm making sure. But, but because my mind then was so gone, but then I, I was already starting to wake up a little bit to the fact that the judicial system ain't for black people. They don't give a damn what charge it is. They already go hammer you regardless. So I knew to never just speak and say anything. I'm like, their mind was already made up the moment they came to my house. They were going to pin charges on me and I had never gotten in any trouble. So I just kind of went with it. was like, I don't know nothing, right? I don't know nothing. Uh, whatever y'all go do, do it, you know, because I didn't, I'm not going to say I didn't care, but I was tired, Ernest. You know, you just get... You just kind of get to the point to where I'm throwing in the towel. Like, I can't take anymore. And that's where my mom was. I'm like, if that's what y'all want to give me, give it to me. Um, so I went to jail. I had time to sit in there to think. As soon as I got out, I had an eviction notice on my door. I'm like, and this was now around Thanksgiving. I'm like, now, damn. I mean, Lord, I mean, you just keep bringing the hurricanes to me. I'm like, the enemy will not let up on me. I'm like, what the hell is it going to take? And I heard a voice say, it's going to take you to change your life. If you don't change your life, you go end up doing something or you're going to be so depressed to where you will miss all the years of your daughter's life. You will end up missing just you as a person. It's time for you to find yourself. So boom, that's that journey led me to really going into a deep spiritual journey. And that's kind of what led me to where I'm at today. And that's a whole nother story, mm-hmm. how I got here. So I don't know if we have time to share all that, but you know, as you see, each chapter of my life has has been a transition and a growth, um, and 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 that growth has led me to fully turning my life around, fully moving 
I had to relocate and get the hell away from my home state. I had to get as far away. So I ended up taking a plea deal. So I didn't have to do jail time. So that plea deal, I had to, I couldn't leave the state. I couldn't do nothing. I was homeless. So, you know, when that, when they kicked, when I was evicted, I was homeless. And when, you know, the crazy part about it is, is that I was staying with my mom when all this happened, but my stepdad didn't want me and my daughter there. So they secretly moved. One day I was at work, didn't even know they was moving. Come home, there's nothing there. My I called my aunt and I'm like, Amy, um, she was like, girl, your mama didn't tell you that they was moving to an apartment because they had a house, a huge house. Because he didn't want me there, they downsized to a little bitty apartment. And she said, yeah, they they moved. And the, the fact that they didn't tell you, and this is the same man that she was with in Atlanta. That's what made me act out. That's what made me, because it was something about him that I just never liked. Never. And here we are. I'm an adult now. Lost. Didn't have no place to call home. At least I thought I could go home to my mom just for a little bit. And then y'all do that to me while I'm at the, the worst of the worst of my life. So I ended up having to go stay at a shelter. Never stayed in a shelter ever in my life. That was a very, very eye-opening experience to actually be in a shelter knowing that my mother and stepdad didn't want me there. Do you know how that felt? That felt like going back to my childhood. Like, I'm see, I'm not wanted. Nobody gives a damn. And um, that gave me the strength to say, you know what? I'm done. Forget everybody. I don't want to be around nobody. I could start cutting everybody out of my life. And, um, from 2015, the end of 2015 through 2018, I was homeless. So for three years, I didn't have a place to call home. Sleeping on blow-up beds, sleeping on the floor, trying to make sure my daughter got to school, had a car that, you know, the radiator was messed up. So I had to put water in my car every two seconds. It was just rough. And I was like, Lord, I, I can't. And he, all he kept saying was, yes, you, this is building your strength. This is building your character. This is changing you. This is what you need to go through. And I just kept saying, why? Why me? He was like, because you, you know, the, these waters that you going through, all these people can't swim. So I'm about to get you through all of this. And I just kept replaying, you know, I got to get out of this. I got to get out of this. Like, I'm freaking homeless. Like, that was... I ain't gonna, it humbled me. It humbled me to the point to where anybody who has something negative to say, I just use that energy to fuel my fire to say, okay, you're right. You can kick me while I'm down, but watch how God go lift me back up. Just, just keep on throwing dirt on me. Keep throwing stones at me. Keep doing it. You know, my sisters was steady, you know, going to go see my son without my, behind my back and just still so much was happening. And I just was looking at them pills and liquor and I said, I don't want no more, but it took me leaving. I had to get out of that environment to fully, fully heal. 
And when I left Oklahoma and moved to the East Coast in September of 2018, I never looked back. Me not looking back, my life now, I was able to get my bachelor's degree. I just graduated in May of this year. Congratulations. Um, thank you. Thank you. I, I've been on the radio to share my story here in, on, uh, in Connecticut. Um, I've been to New York many of times that I would have never been like, I'm in New York. I was just homeless, right? And here I am at the freaking Statue of Liberty taking pictures, living my best life, living life and, and actually starting to be free from those substances. It took, your body takes a while for it to readjust, right? You know, um, I, I had to renew my mind. I had to renew my, my, my energy. And that really, my spiritual journey led me to fully understanding who I was as a woman and who I was no longer going to allow to others to try to take me back to who I used to be. Um, and again, so much has happened in my life since I moved here. I, it's just a blessing. So next month will be four years of sobriety. Um, and I am just truly, truly, truly thankful. And all I want to do is just show women um, that, you know, if I can overcome all these hurricanes and I still, people ask me, you know, like, how did you get through what you still not having your son? God. And knowing that he didn't make no mistakes and knowing that I will one day see my son. He's about to be, he's about to graduate next year, this year. So my, I'm, I'm hoping to make a surprise visit and, and show up for his graduation. So that is my, that is my goal for 2023. Um, so y'all wish me luck because I, I really did like, I just want to see my son. I haven't touched him physically, seen him in seven years. That's a long time. So I wanna I wanna I'm gonna go back a little bit. Um so one of the things that you were talking about is um you know just uh, with your journey and I think you said four years of, of sobriety. Yes. Okay, going so, on, it'll be four years, yes. Okay, going on four years. Congratulations for that. First Thank time. you. Um, but so during that time. And to go in, get into what you do now, because I know one of the things that, um, if I'm not mistaken, that you do now is uh, I also have a like a peer support group. Am I yeah. sure? Okay. So I wanted to talk a little bit about that. Sure. Um, but the reason why I like that is because I'm listening to your your story, and when we talk about we're talking about how our families and the environment and having to move from where you were in order to get better, you know? And so that's a change of, of environment. That's a change of people uh, that you're around. That's a change of the, the atmosphere that you're in. And not only does that needed to happen for you to change, but now you are building that same atmosphere for others um, mm -hmm. when it comes to the, the, uh, support group, and I'm I'm very adamant about support groups. Um, my story's a little different with my experience with support groups because when my mom passed away, I was taking bereavement uh, 
um, not classes, but I was part of a bereavement support group mm -hmm. I joined to help me get through that period. And when I got there, uh, I really liked it. It helped me a lot. And I said, okay, I want to stay. And so I stayed and I became a volunteer and I started working with the, you know, the uh, organization. And what I realized for the time period that I was there, it was almost a year. And within that year, it was only maybe three black families that came through there. And I knew it wasn't because, you know, we didn't need it. And it wasn't because we didn't have loved ones that were passing away. Um, but then it goes back to the stigma of uh, therapy, uh, the stigma of, you know, needing help and reaching out for help. Um, mm -hmm. We sometimes have in our community. And so I'm always grateful when uh, people like yourself begin to, and even, even me. So one of the things that I did when I left there is I started uh, a nonprofit organization, which um, gave support help for people that was going through bereavement. Um, mm -hmm. particularly in our communities um, because I know that we needed it. So talk to me a little bit about uh, the support group, how that came about and even the workings of it, you know, and, and how you offer it now. Sure. So my um, second year of uh, my, in my bachelor's program. Um, so my, my degree is in psychology with a minor in addiction. So there was a um, class that I was in, and we had to uh, we had to choose and find an organization that had to do with, you know, that had some sort of 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 of, of my mind just went blank. It had to do with addictions, pretty much. So I was doing research, and I came across this organization called Smart Recovery. So as I'm doing my research and I needed it for class, I'm like, I just need it for class. But then I started reading and getting more into what they do and what is the purpose and kind of reading their values and mission and and what they believe in, because not every um, support group or organization have the same. I wanted to find an organization that had the same beliefs I did, mm -hmm. which is a holistic approach, being able to um help others go through recovery without needing that harm reduction tools meaning medications um and things like that so i'm like okay that was their model pretty much so um i end up going through classes and and paying for um facilitator classes and i'm like you know what i think i can become a facilitator i'm like i don't see why i can't i'm like I could just use the tools that has helped me and kind of add that into what their model is. And because they have a four point model, which is change and motivation, um, helping people overcome urges and giving them coping mechanisms. So I'm like, that's good. I'm like, I could just add more to it. And so that's basically what I did. I, I went to these classes, passed them, and I asked them, could I start my own um online uh support group and they were like yes like we don't have anyone in your area like you would be a great fit so i started doing that right i started that in 2021 well i'm like i want to use this and partner with someone i'm like there's all these different organizations that you know are well known and that could probably use this information or I can turn this into a program maybe in my community. 
So me doing, you know, networking and, and just going to these, excuse me, webinars. And I'm just, I finally found that connection. And this connection was, you know, we would like to give you grant money to start this program in your community. And I'm like, me? You know, even though that was in the back of my mind, what I wanted to do, it was just kind of like, so I was taken aback because I'm like, man, all this blessings that is coming my way from where I used to be to where I'm at now, you know, I just still can't wrap my mind around it. So that opportunity came and now I facilitate and coordinate the program in my community every Thursday. And it's, it's, it's slowly growing, but the more I get the word out and, and do things like that, I, I think it's going to really be a great thing. Good, good, good. That's great. Um, so I want to talk a little bit uh, before we go, because we, I want to talk a little bit about you and your uh, motivation as far as being a motivational speaker. And, you know, where do you go uh, for those opportunities? Are you, are you speaking in schools and things now? And um, how is that going uh, to be able to share your story? And what is that like for you to be able to share your story with, with others and see that transformation that they have just listening to what you've been through? So that opportunity or that journey is kind of still transitioning because with me going to school and just graduating in May, that was my focus, right? So now that that's kind of done and I can mar I've marked that off my to-do list, now it's like, okay, now I can I can package my my story and 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 start going into these schools. So I have, you know, just I'll just go into the schools and just when I see kids, because my daughter's, you know, in middle school. So kids, you know, see me and from that the parent, the teachers will see me like you, you could you should come speak. So that's still in the making of really trying to package how I, I want to deliver it. But yes, my goal is to get into schools, get into universities and really share not only my story, but also provide them with the motivation they need to understand not to go this route. Like, you know, the the, the unhealed and, and not feeling loved and, you know, just provide them a, a different perspective from that point of view versus just letting them because these kids right now need it. Oh, my God. Woo. So right now I have been, you know, just networking and, and going to these, um, they have like these school seminars where you can network with people. So that's what I've been doing. It's a lot harder to get into the schools when you don't have a connection. Um, so I think, again, if I found this partnership with this program that I'm doing, I know that I'll have an opportunity with speaking just, so I'm just continuing to develop my craft and get better with how I how I do my speech. Okay, all right, all right. So I, first of all, I want to thank you, uh, Miss Marquita, for taking out the time to to be here um, to share your story with us. And I want to give you the, the last word. I want you to have the last word. I definitely want you to leave us with something that we can take um, from here. You know, moving forward, just so that you know. A word of advice, it doesn't have to be advice or information, whatever that word is that, that's laid on your heart to leave with us um, or for anyone who may be dealing with uh, addiction at this time, you know, just a word to, to, to help them get through 
you know, the phase that they're in so that they can make it to the other side. So I want you to have that um, that moment to give us that. So I'll give you a, a second to think about that. Um, in the meantime, guys, I told you guys that I would tell you how to, uh, you can win $100 from the podcast. And that is by joining our super subscriber contest. And what does that mean? That means you must subscribe to our YouTube page, our uh, Facebook page, YouTube channel, and to our podcast on Spotify. And after you've done those three things, you would text the word WIN, W-I-N, to the number 866-326-0730 in order to qualify to win $100. So the contest is ongoing and it's random. So once you're in, you're in. You never got to uh, do anything else, you know, and at any time, uh, I can put a name and say, Hey, our next winner, uh, will be you. And then I would, you would be notified through the same, uh, text as you text the word win to. So it's just that easy guys. You're already watching. You're already listening. So just make sure you enter our super subscriber contest again, in order to do that, you must subscribe to our, uh, YouTube channel, our Facebook page and our, uh, podcast on Spotify so that you don't miss any uh, episodes for number one. But then after you've done that, you will text the word WIN, W-I-N, to the number 866-326-0730 to qualify um, to win $100 from the podcast. So that being said, Ms. Marquita, uh, Marquita, I'm all messed up today. <laughs> Look, I understand. <laughs> so... Again, I want to thank you for being on, uh, taking out your time to be here and share your story with us and, and your journey. So um, I'm going to leave, let you allow you to have the last word. Um, definitely you leave us with a word of advice, um, but also share with us any of your social media um, handles and where we can reach out to you, um, website or anything like that, information that you have. So to make sure that my listeners are able to reach out to you uh, in your area. Um, definitely let us know wherever you're in. And, and if you're still doing it online, definitely give us that information. But again, I want to thank you for being on. Thank you for taking out your time for being here. Um, I want to make sure I say that. And so I give the floor to you. You got the last word. Well, Ernest, thank you again, seriously, for allowing me to have this space um, to um, share my story and share this message to your listeners. Um, I know as we, as people of color, this is a topic um, that I've, I, I find so, so important. And the more awareness that is brought to it, the more of you will begin to understand that recovery is possible. So I would love to leave you all with this. Um, if you can quit for a day, you can quit for a lifetime. Um, a recovery is not easy, but it's damn sure going to be worth it when you decide to put yourself first and remove and and, and release um, and become healed from whatever it is that um, is allowing you to not love yourself. Um, so understand that that is very, very important when it comes to recovery, addiction. Um, it didn't start overnight. Um, and so the shame or guilt or any of that that you may be experiencing, those are just emotions. So once you understand um, how recovery truly works and how going through recovery will save your life, 
then you will definitely come out a whole better renewed person. And I want to leave you all with this favorite uh, quote or scripture that's in um, the Bible that I that resonated with me. And I hope it resonates with your listeners. And it's Romans 12, 2, which says, do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And that scripture sticks to me because we don't realize how much our families and um, watching social, being on social media, listening to the news, how that really conforms our, our thinking and has us really not understanding our own thoughts. So when you begin to quiet the mind and really understand Though some of those are irrational thoughts, you will begin to renew your mind. So I hope this message, you know, touch someone. If I could touch one person, then that did not have done my thing. Um, so again, thank you, Ernest. Um, you all can definitely follow me. I am on TikTok and Facebook and Instagram under I am Marquita Renee. Um, I also have some ebook that you can check out on my website, which is oakservices.org. Um, I do have a podcast that I have also started. I got to get back on it. So um, look out for that. So yeah, I just look forward to connecting. If any of you all are ever interested in, in joining my support group, I host it every Wednesday on Zoom. It might be converting to online, I'm sorry, on live, either on Instagram or TikTok. I haven't figured out which platform I want to use yet. I might do both. So, you know, y'all just got to stay tuned, lock in with your girl and know that recovery is possible. So thank you all for listening and y'all have a great night. All right. And we can't uh, do it any better than that. So again, to all my listeners, thank you guys for uh, sticking around, even with me sounding the way I sound. Um, we made it through. I was stressing. <laughs> I was pressing to get through. I had to cough a couple of times to turn my mic off and all of that, but we, we fought through it. Um, but I thank you guys for uh, definitely for hanging on and uh, listening to the podcast. Again, I am your host, Ernest James, and this is the Deal to Heal with E. James podcast. And our mission is to help us to deal, to heal, and to fulfill, to deal with our problems, to heal from the pain, and to fulfill our uh, purpose. So until next time, guys, until next week, I will see you. Be blessed. Hey, guys. I know you're enjoying the podcast. However, don't forget to join our text line at 866-326-0730. That's 866-326-0730 in order to receive text messages with new events and things that is going on and new episodes as they release. All right. See you in a minute. Thanks for listening to the Deal to Heal with E. James podcast. Remember to listen, like, subscribe, and share. This episode has been brought to you by Deal to Heal Teas. Put some inspiration in your situation. Wear an inspirational tea and be inspired all day. Let's go to dealtoheelteas.myshopify.com. Remember, our mission is to help you to deal, heal, and fulfill. Deal with your problem. Heal from the pain and fulfill your purpose. Thanks for listening.